Hello, language hackers. Benny here from the Language Hacking Podcast, where we share the stories and questions of everyday language learners from around the world and discover smarter, faster ways to learn a language. I'm very excited to share this episode. It's the first time that we've actually taken listener questions and recorded with a live audience. In this episode, Shannon and I talk about the best way to get full immersion in a new language, what to do if you can't speak a language often, and whether it's possible to learn a language fluently in three months, plus much, much more. As always, all the resources we mentioned can be found in the show notes at languagehacking.com. Let's get right into today's episode. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Okay, everybody, welcome to the live edition of the Language Hacking Podcast. And uh, as some of you would have seen, we've already launched this. We're very proud of it. Uh, You can check it out on all the usual sources of podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and the like. So uh, you'll see links in the description of this video. Check that out. Have a listen. Give us a review. We absolutely appreciate that so that we get a bit more exposure as we're launching this. And generally, the format is that we would invite a guest on. And Shannon, who's with me today, how are you doing, Shannon? Uh, Shannon is actually my co-host. So one of the reasons... I uh, didn't launch this podcast sooner is I never quite got ready uh, to do a podcast by myself, but I find with Shannon, I have a a great dynamic for actually um, hitting the right questions with the guests that we have. So uh, it's one of the reasons that we've actually launched it this year. We found this right balance. Um, And every once in a while, we're going to mix things up. And in today's podcast, we're actually going to be uh, tackling questions people have sent in ahead of time. And Shannon and I are going to be taking turns at answering these questions. So hopefully you'll find this uh, helpful with your own language struggles. And again, if you um, are uh, new to our podcast, definitely check it out and subscribe. And you'll see, uh, you'll hear some very interesting interviews with both extremely experienced language learners who have a lot of years of learning the language under their belt and they share loads of tips. But also we made sure to mix things up and invite people from the community who have just learned maybe successfully their first language and they're because they have this uh, fresh point of view they have a lot of very interesting things that they say about their philosophy of learning so we make sure to mix that up so it's a lot more relatable and that it can help you to learn your target language wherever you're listening from um, you can always visit languagehacking.com to find more information on the podcast to listen to past episodes uh, share comments on your favorite episodes and of course find the show notes for all of the recorded episodes including today's that's right okay so shannon did you want to dive into a question first or do you want to uh, let me take the first one sure i can jump into a first question i'd also kind of love your opinion on this one as well so this question is from danny and it says i'm learning spanish and my target is one hour per day which i'm meeting sometimes i struggle to know the most effective use of this time in particular how much of this time should i spend reviewing previous learning and how much should i spend on new concepts or is it better to have a routine like three days of new concepts than on the fourth day 
review these concepts. Any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. So for me, when I am working on learning a new language, there is obviously a certain degree of review that you have to do, but I don't feel like it should be the focus of what you're working on because if you're consistently spending time with the language, the review happens quite naturally. So it's not something that you really need to deliberately spend time on unless there's a specific concept that you find you're still struggling with as you continue in your studies. Um, if it's for vocabulary specifically, using an application like Memrise, Drops, or Anki, which has SRS incorporated into it, allows you to kind of determine how much time you need to spend reviewing and how much time you can spend working on new material because the material that you need to review becomes due. So that means that it's basically ready for you to um, look over. And this is like decided by the app based on the spaced repetition algorithms, which are within built into the apps, which are really complicated to explain. But basically, spaced repetition shows you a word right before you're about to forget it so that it stays fresh in your brain. And when you're about to forget it is based on how many times you've answered for that word correctly, um, how long it's been since the previous time you had seen it, how many times you've gotten that word wrong. So there's a couple of different things that come into that as far as if you're talking about course book material. Again, I would be careful spending too much time reviewing because you end up become, it's kind of like when you use too many resources, you spread yourself thin and you become really good at doing like the one thing, but you never really make the forward progress that you need to for your language. So constantly working on new material is going to kind of push you a little bit quicker forward in the language. And then plus just because language naturally builds on your, builds on itself as you're learning, uh, you're going to naturally review things that you previously learned through earlier lessons, through other lessons from other materials and things in that sort of nature. So you don't necessarily need to worry so much about review unless you find that you're struggling with something in particular you worked on in the past, then it would be time to go and revisit that. Benny, do you have anything different or that you'd like to add to that? I really think that you've covered this as well as I could have. When it comes to review, it needs to be a smaller part of the process based on what you actually need. So um, I actually won't add to that, but um, I will go on to the next question, which was from Brian. Um, Brian says, am I alone in thinking I can't learn past, present and future? Can't I get by in any other easier way? So um, I think this question is, uh, is kind of tackling broadly an issue that a lot of us face when we first get into language learning. And I know I certainly felt this when I first got into Spanish and the concept of learning basic past conjugations and different forms of, of uh, the present and they've got all these other ones, pluquam perfect, and like there's lots of grammatical terms for different ways of expressing times and languages. And I felt like I did not have a, the head for this. I felt like this is too hard for me and I don't think I'm ever going to be able to learn how to use the past tense. And I think the biggest issue that I personally faced, and maybe you faced this as, as well yourself, Brian, is that I was thinking about it a little bit too academically, and I was uh, looking at it from a purely grammatical perspective. And when you first start learning a language, especially in school and more traditional learning, you may be presented with a table that gives you conjugations of verbs in the past tense. And this doesn't really have any context in your brain. So you could try to memorize that table, and you can try to do that, but 
that's like for me that didn't really mean anything in my head this was just a table of information that i couldn't really see applying uh, to the real world so what helped for me a lot at that beginning stage was to just try to get as much spoken practice as possible and accepting that I was going to have a lot of mistakes in it and that my grammar was going to have to get fixed a little bit later. So with that example, instead of learning uh, very well what the past conjugation of comer, to eat, was, I might say, yo ayer como pizza. Yesterday I eat pizza. So that's incorrect. That's grammatically false. But the person I would speak to would understand what I'm saying. And then that would give me a bit of momentum. And then with time, the people you speak to are going to start using the, obviously, if they're native speakers or high level speakers, they're going to use correct grammar. And you're going to absorb a lot of it a little bit through osmosis. But then with that experience, when you do go back and you start to look at those tables, because I'm not, I'm certainly not anti-grammar. When you look at those tables with context, it becomes a whole lot easier and you see the, um, the patterns that start to emerge. So this is kind of what I would say with things in general. It's not just specifically with the past conjugation, future conjugation, but with grammar as a whole, when you first try to learn it with no context of the language, it can feel impossible. And unless you're passionate about grammar or that's, that's the kind of like um, person that you are, you love these really technical things, it's not going to be interesting. So generally, I would push learning that grammar a little bit to the at least the early intermediate stage and accept speaking a little bit like a caveman, as it were, at the beginning stages. And, and that's fine. You're not going to have perfect conjugation, but people are going to understand you. And then when you return to studying the technical aspect, even if you say that you, you, you might feel like you can't learn it, maybe what the issue actually is, is that you can't learn it right now in this stage of the language. You can learn a lot of things. You can get a lot of practice, but maybe it is true that right this moment at the beginning stages, you can't learn uh, past conjugations and that's okay. It doesn't mean you can never learn it. it. Just means that maybe you need a bit more experience in other aspects of the language before you can actually start to learn it. So hopefully you find that answer useful, Brian. And um, I wish you the best of luck in your future in uh, language conjugation learning. All right, our next question is from Tony and he asks, what's the best routine to have to learn the target language in both of our opinions? Um, for me, my opinion is that the best routine is the routine you're going to stick with. And that comes from um, having worked alongside thousands of learners in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. And there's no one right routine. There's really basically two things that a routine needs to have. One is that you do it consistently. And two is that you're going to stick with it. So whatever that needs to be for you personally, personally is going to be the right thing. Now, there are a few things that you can do to make this a little bit easier. The first is one of the uh, tactics that I learned from Benny a long time ago, and that is to remove any resistance to starting up your studies. So what this could look like is you have your language course book sitting on top of your laptop computer. So in order to open up your laptop and start working on something else, you have to move the course book out of the way. The fact that that course book is sitting there right in front of your face means that you're more likely to actually open it up, even if it's just open it and look at it. Benny's even suggested that for when you're trying to start a language routine, the first thing that you do is 
your only task the first day of study is to open the course book to page one. And you don't even need to read it, you just need to open it. And once you kind of start to get into the habit of having those materials around, getting into those materials, even on a small level, you're going to start getting into the habit of perhaps using them. Because once you open the book to page one, it's kind of hard not to glance at it and then maybe start reading it and then maybe get into some of the activities or look at some of the vocabulary. Another thing that you can do to remove the resistance is there's two things that I do. The first is I have my phone set so that whenever I get into my car, it auto automatically connects and starts playing a language podcast. So the decisions about what I'm going to listen to in the car is already made for me the minute I get into it. It's just automatic. It's set up and queued so that it leaves off where it starts wherever it left off. And um, another thing that you can do is before you go to bed at night, open up the language learning application that you most like to use. So when you pick up your phone in the morning, the very first thing you see is that language learning app. So that's one thing that you can do. The second is I feel like a lot of learners, they decide, okay, I'm going to study one hour per day. And they feel like they need to sit down for that entire hour and find a whole hour that they have free in the day, which for a lot of us isn't something that we have. So the other thing that you can do is break your study up into smaller chunks throughout the day. So do five minutes of vocabulary study while you're on hold at on a call at work or while you're waiting for your coffee to brew. It doesn't even need to be the full five minutes. If it, your coffee takes 90 seconds, do 90 seconds of vocabulary study and then pick it up again later. Um, do a 15 minute podcast here do um you know 10 minutes reviewing something that you're struggling with grammar wise on a website there you can break up your study so that that way you can get constant little exposure to the language throughout your day and you don't need to feel overwhelmed by the fact it's like oh when i'm going when am i going to fit an hour into my schedule i don't have an hour free i don't have half an hour free so this way you can at least do little bits of study throughout your day still get the language in and maintain that routine so those are two of the tricks that I've learned that help make language learning fit into your life a little bit better. Um, he had asked for both of our opinions. Benny, is there something specific you do with your routine? I mean, I think um, the thing you said first is so important. If people have an opportunity to not just think about this from a language learning perspective, but from a, a personal development perspective and just realizing how to improve their routines in life and if things are getting in the way, and things like making sure technology is blocked or that they talk to their family and say, I, I need for the next hour that I don't get any interruptions. So that's the first side of it. And that is obviously uh, very much dependent on the person's uh, individual situation. When it comes to, to the specifics of how I'm going to fill like which routines, for me, I make it as easy as, as I can for myself. I, I don't have a very complicated formula and flow chart of if I do this, then I do this, then I do that. Uh, for me, it's very simply my goal uh, up until the intermediate stage is to be able to speak the language. So what's central to my practice is to have a spoken session with a teacher. And I would do that over a Zoom or a Skype call and set that up ahead of time. And that is the core of what I'm working towards. And everything else gravitates around that. So even if I only have a spoken session once every two or three days, then the days between that, I'm thinking about what were my biggest weaknesses during the most recent spoken session, or what did my teacher tell me that I need to work on? And that's what I'm trying to fill my time with, because it takes a lot of the guessing out of it. I know there's a million things we could do when it comes to language learning. We could be going through a course book. 
like Shannon gave a bunch of examples, listening to podcasts and all these many different things, and it can feel overwhelming. But generally, I try to see what can I do that's going to help me with my immediate needs, if possible. But then on top of that, like Shannon said, there are um, if you're limited in your time and you may only have small chunks, then you have to find ways to fill those chunks with languages and automating that process, like Shannon was saying, is a great way to do that. Okay, so um, moving on, I'm going to take a question from Dennis that was sent in ahead of time. Uh, Dennis asked, based on your extensive language learning, um, what format, method, or additional support, like flashcards or software, would you now include and recommend for full immersion to get the maximum benefit? So full immersion is, uh, is central to a lot of concepts of learning a language as intensively as possible. And I will emphasize that you don't need to travel to the country for this. I know a lot of people are thinking maybe this year they won't be able to have immersion in a language because this year a lot of us simply can't travel for the, uh, over the whole world. It's just not possible. So they may feel immersion isn't something that's open to them. But for me, full immersion is always available to us. We can immerse ourselves by listening to streamed radio in the language. We can immerse ourselves by uh, having conversations with people live. We can create kind of virtual immersion environments. So this is there's a lot of different uh, support that you can do to get this. And effectively, you have to imagine um, if your goal is this quasi-immersion, how could I make it so that I'm effectively living my life in that language? So I would not necessarily call it immersion if you're studying a, a book. Studying a book is very useful for solving particular problems. But when it comes to immersion, you have to be actively using your language. So absolutely central to that is a spoken session with a teacher. There's lots of other things you can do in terms of reading and listening to a language, but a spoken session with a teacher has a few advantages because if it's a, a good teacher and you can afford to, to hire um, someone who's experienced enough to, to help you out at least once a week or so, then that teacher will adjust for your level. So it doesn't matter if you're a beginner, they will be able to help you push it up a notch. And if you have a little bit of experience, then they can get you that momentum that you need. So for me, the, um, the best support by far is not software or flashcards. It's a human being that you are actually getting practice with in the language. And I know that for a lot of people, this can feel intimidating and it can feel like, yeah, but I need to study lots of vocabulary first. I need to maybe finish, I don't know, Duolingo before I dare speak a language. And like these do help you in certain ways, but in other ways, they're just procrastination tools. And I have been as guilty of this as anybody else of thinking like I could get practice in my language, but I don't feel like it's good enough. So I'll do something else. And sometimes it just turns into busy work. And this is another reason a lot of us end up learning a language for six years or 10 years and we don't really speak it. It's, because, it's not because we weren't doing anything. Uh, we were working at the language, but we were working at things that aren't necessarily the hard things that really push us forward. So um, for me, it has to be central that you are speaking the language for these beginner stages. For the later stages, there's a lot of other things you can do, but um, I would think more flashcards and software to be the tools to help us with the core activities. 
So even if speaking isn't your core activity, maybe reading is your core activity. And that's the, the aspect of the language you want to improve most right now. In that case, you need to be reading as much as possible and your flashcards are supporting that goal. So this is kind of, when it comes to immersion, I think the general theme is you have some true actual use of the language that is not just busy work of studying. And the studying, instead of being busy work, becomes the support that helps that main core aspect improve. So uh, hopefully that somewhat addresses your question, Dennis, um, about the uh, support that you could potentially give yourself during uh, full immersion for maximum benefit. I also just kind of want to reiterate what you said, because I am one of the people that will do anything I can to avoid speaking because I'm so introverted and shy. It's one of the hardest things for me to do. But many years ago, I did <laughs> Benny's Speak in a Week, and um, I realized the value of speaking in that. And then I've gone on to not only be the coach for the Fluent 3 Months Challenge, but participate them nonstop for almost three years now. And the reason that I keep doing them is because it works. Um, and for most people, most people, the goal of learning a language is to be able to speak it and use it. And you can't get better at the thing that you want to do unless you do it. So if I were to give you the example of if you were driving and you want to become better at parallel parking, if you don't ever practice parallel parking, you just continue to park in a spot where you can just pull right in. You're not improving the skill you need to improve. You're not going to get better at parallel parking by parking in a normal spot. You need to practice parallel parking. And the same is true for speaking. You're not going to get better at speaking unless you speak. And uh, there's reasons for that. And it's not just being able to connect what's in your brain to your mouth. There's actual muscle, muscle training that needs to go on as well. So what your tongue is doing, what your lips are doing, what your throat is doing, what your voice is doing, and how all of those things are combining. Unless you practice that skill and build that coordination, it's not going to come. So it's just something that you need to do. Our next question is from KT, and it is, how can you pick up a language even if you can't practice speaking it very often? For example, will you pick up parts of the language if you listen to music, watch television shows in that language frequently, despite not being able to speak it often. To answer this question, I think there's something really important we need to do first, and that's to separate the idea of speaking and conversing. So there's absolutely no reason you can't speak the language often. There's definitely probably reasons that you might not be able to converse in the language often. So by separating out these two different things, um, you can actually practice speaking. There are lots of ways that you can practice speaking on your own. You can read out loud. You can um, write scripts and speak them. You can record yourself speaking. You can just kind of come up with things off the top of your head. One of my favorite things to do is kind of self monologue. So while I'm in the car, or while I'm doing something, I may talk about what I'm going to do that day in the language. It's completely on my own. Um, sometimes I just do this to get the speaking practice. Sometimes I record myself so that that way I can listen back to it and get feedback. Um, also, we live in a digital era. So if you do record yourself, whether it's a video or audio, there are lots of places that you can share that to get feedback from native speakers. So even if you're not necessarily practicing conversing, that doesn't mean you can't get feedback from your speaking from someone or someone else. It's just not in real time, but you can still get that really valuable feedback. 
again, as far as conversing, um, I think still we kind of have this idea that we need to meet with people in person to practice speaking the lesson, maybe have an in-person tutor or go to meetups. Those are great options if they're not available in your area or if you don't have time to do those things. You can also try and find partners online. Uh, there are really great sites like italki where you can find exchange partners for free. And again, earlier we had discussed kind of the trap of thinking that you needed to make an entire 30 minute hour commitment, you can find language exchange partners who will just for a quick 15 minutes jump on a call with you um, and give you the chance to practice. So it doesn't need to be this hour long endeavor that you need to plan out and coordinate. There are also apps like HelloTalk where you can send voice notes to exchange partners. So you don't even need to do an entire phone call or an entire video chat. You can just send voice notes back and forth. Uh, I believe WeChat allows you to do this as well. and. Um, um, so there's just different apps and things that you can use to get speaking practice. There's also an app called Speechling, which uh, is an app where you can record yourself reading a sentence and you get feedback from native speakers on that as well. So there are different tools that you can use to get speaking practice. As far as other things that you can do if there is a reason that you can't speak, um, the thing that I would recommend most is doing lots and lots of listening um, because you're going to hear the language, you're going to get used to the way the language sounds so that when you do finally go to speak, you have a sense of the rhythm, you have a sense of the sound, you have a sense of how everything kind of fits together. So the more listening you do, the better you are going to get at understanding, which is the other half of conversing. And the easier it will be for you to start speaking once you start training and building those muscles. So that would be my advice if um, you aren't necessarily able to speak is to do listening and listening to music, watching television are ways to do that. But you can also listen to podcasts, which are more geared towards learners, which may be useful to you. If you're at a level where that's too easy, um, native materials are great as well um, over television or music. Uh, music is great for remembering things, uh, but it's not necessarily how people actually speak. Uh, lyrics tend to be more poetic, tend to have, use different language, tend to be about very specific topics. So if you want to be a little bit more versed and have a more versatile background, then just maybe singing about love or going to a party. <laughs> I don't know. I know there's songs about other things, but um, those tend to be the most popular and common. Um, you would maybe find YouTube channels or radio stations or things that discuss topics that you're interested in in the language. So for example, I am studying Hungarian. I follow um, people who vlog in Hungarian about living in the United States, about food and about language learning in Hungarian. So I get to listen to topics that interest me, but I just do it in another language. And then that's a really great way for me to kind of learn the types of vocabulary and do the types of listening that I would need to, to talk about the things one day that I'd like to discuss. So that would be my advice on that. All right. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. So I'll go straight into the next question from Maya. Is it possible for people to learn a language fluently in three months? So this this question, I think uh, it comes up a lot when people see the um, the name of my blog and the name of the uh, other YouTube channel that we have as our main community YouTube channel. And, and of course, the book and everything. And I think it requires a little bit extra explanation because some people may have a lot of um, misconceptions when they see this, but effectively, I believe you need to have a specific goal in your project. So when I started my blog, my um, the reason I chose that title is because I really wanted to emphasize you need a specific goal 
in a specific timeline. So for me, fluency is specific. It's not this general vague concept. It is truly um, on the European Common Framework. I set that to be the B2 upper intermediate level, where effectively I'm socially equivalent in the language. And then the three months was initially geared towards the um, the periods that I would travel for because a tourist visa limit is three months in a lot of countries. But even nowadays, I find that it's kind of like this Goldilocks zone of it's not too big and not too small a time period because a small time period, you can't really push yourself too much forward in the language. You can't make a, a very giant, a big giant leap ahead in your uh, current level. Uh, like you can't do that in two weeks or a month. But then if you give yourself a whole year, like a lot of people would do with um, resolutions, this year I want to learn Spanish. The problem is that is such so far away in the future that you don't really have any need to intensively learn it and you can keep putting things off. So for me, three months had that purpose. Now, I wouldn't recommend that everybody go and have a fluent in three months project. The whole goal of the blog is to give you tools for our learning philosophy. So I'm absolutely not guaranteeing anybody who follows our advice is definitely going to learn a language in, in, fluently in three months. What I am going to suggest is that you can use our philosophy to find a realistic goal for you that you can very realistically achieve in whatever time frame you set yourself. That could be six months. It could be two months. Your goal could be fluency. It could be conversational level. There's a lot of wiggle room there. Now, when I have a fluent in three months project, one thing about that is generally I would have the months leading up to it. I would be working very hard on, on my main stuff, whether that be the blog or before the blog was successful, I was a, a freelance translator. So I'd be working more so that I'd have free time. And that meant that for my most successful projects, I actually did have a good eight hours a day that I could invest in, in learning a language. And I know that is not realistic for a lot of people. Ironically, it is actually a little bit more realistic nowadays because a lot of people are at home. They don't necessarily have as much work that they need to do. But for the most part, it's not realistic for most people. So um, this was unique to me, but I still feel that you can do a lot in three months. And it's one reason why, uh, if anybody isn't familiar with it, if you check out on the blog through in three months.com and uh, click the courses button, you'll see we actually run the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. And in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, we're not actually getting people to be fluent in three months. We're getting people to see what is their actual goal in the language. And generally, that is to have conversations. And what we do stick to is that three months. And then the Fluent in Three Months part of the title is more that it's sticking to the philosophies that you would have seen us grow on the blog over the, the last 11 or so years. So the Fluent in Three Months Challenge has a lot of the aspects of the missions that I know you guys would have followed me on over the years where I had very regular video updates, um, which was great for me because it gave me that accountability. I have to upload a video. So because of that, I feel more pressure to actually make real progress ahead of that next video uh, or um, I need to, you know, up my frequency of lessons and such. So we have other people who are doing the challenge to upload their videos. And then at the end of it, at the end of my three months, I would be working up to a main 
video, which would generally be me interviewing somebody or them interviewing me or some kind of a conversation with a native speaker. And we implemented that into the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. So if you're curious, check out the details on the Fluent in Three Months Challenge on the blog. But in general, I would say, um, like, to answer the, the base question, is it possible to learn a language fluent in three months? Um, the first language that I tried to learn well, as an adult was Spanish. And it took me a whole year, at least a year, to get to a level I would call fluency. So I was not born with this innate talent to learn a language in three months. But I have had successful fluent in three months projects. And this has been because over the years, I have learned where my strengths lie. I've learned to embrace making mistakes. So I think realistically, as a very, very first challenge, you can't possibly be aiming for fluency in three months because there's a lot of other non-language related things that you need to fix. Like we were mentioning before, routines. You need to be getting on top of your routines. You need to learn how to get over your lack of confidence in speaking the language because that's going to slow you down a lot. And all of these other things, these are the things that make you become a better language learner. And I think for a lot of people who have had that process and who've learned that, it then does become possible that maybe they could aim for that goal. But do they really need to? Like, that's that's the thing. If there's an actual need, that's where what drives things. The need for me was I was giving myself three months in this country. And that's the only that's the time I had. I had another project that was coming up afterwards. Nowadays, I tend to spread out my time a bit more because I don't have a need to learn the language in three months, but I will in future have three month projects and they will be geared towards whatever the timelines and, and needs that I ha happen to have in those projects are. So I'd say as a beginner language learner, you can absolutely do a lot in three months, as long as you are realistic with yourself about what you're aiming for. And um, you can talk with our community and we can help you figure that out. Um, and then I think once you get experienced in language learning, you learn where your strengths lie and you, you get through the difficult processes. It could potentially become possible, but it's never been my goal to prove that it's possible. At the end of the day, Fluent in Three Months is an example of specific target in a specific deadline. That is an aspect of language learning I highly recommend you embrace, whether that's have your first conversation within a week or a month or whatever it may be, or pass an exam within four months, have a specific goal in a specific timeline. That is what Fluent in Three Months is all about. There's just a couple things that I want to add. Uh, the first is that with the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, the goal at the end of the 90 days is to have a 15-minute conversation in your new language. Or if you've done a challenge in the past, there's also advanced and polyglot versions where your goal is slightly different. But as Benny said, the primary goal is to get you conversing. It's not fluency, but that 15-minute conversation is a really, really significant milestone on the way to fluency. The other thing that I want to add is I really want to get really mathematical for a second here. So sorry about this, Benny. Mm -hmm. But um, just based on what you're saying in, in the three months, is it possible to get fluent in three months? Just if you're wondering about the general possibility. So if you look at the Defense Institute framework, they basically categorize, this is based on if your native language is English, of course. They categorize languages into four different categories, I believe. And those are category one through four. One languages tend to be the easiest languages for English speakers to learn. So like French, I believe Portuguese is there, Spanish, um, languages like that 
that, whereas category four languages are languages like Korean. So based on that, they say that a category one language takes about, it's like 680 to 700 hours of like coursework to learn. So if you look at that and then you divide that by 90, that gets you between seven to eight hours a day that you have to do to meet that hour. That's just, so that's the hour requirement. So to meet that, you would need to do seven to eight hours of study every single day for 90 days. Now that's assuming that you're spending the time studying the right things, that you're all of those, that that entire seven to eight hours of study is focused. And I don't know anyone who can have like focused brain melting study for seven to eight hours a day. So while it is possible, if you are capable of doing that, you could totally reach fluency according to the Defense Institute's criteria in 90 days if you're spending seven to eight hours of focused study time a day on the language. Um, that said, I wouldn't recommend doing that because that is really intensive. And um, you know, Benny's like the only person that I really know who's done eight hours a day study and has survived it not once, but on several occasions, I am not able to do that. Um, and then plus, that's assuming that you have absolutely nothing else to do with your time. So let's say you have a job or you have kids or you have school or some other responsibilities. Those are going to take time and attention and more importantly, energy away as well. So again, getting that focused seven day hours becomes even more challenging. But this leads to something that I would like to mention, and it will be in the show notes for this episode. Benny wrote this really incredible post on why you should think of language learning in hours and not in days, months or years. So again, this question of fluent in three months, the three months, that's not actually a really good kind of marker for determining how long you need to study. Instead, it's about the hours. So again, the Defense Language Institute breaks the levels down by hours. And so the smaller window you do those hours, the faster you're going to learn the language. The wider window, which is basically what we tend to think about. It's like, oh, I've studied Spanish for six years. It's like, okay, well, how many hours in that six years? It's like, well, I went to a one-hour class twice a week. So you spent two hours and then maybe another hour on homework. So three hours a week. And when you add that up, you very quickly see just how many hours you've studied. Whereas if you're an independent learner and you're learning even an hour a day, that's seven hours a week. So um, that's already more than twice what you would have been doing in a class. And so that doubles the speed with which you could potentially learn a language, again, with energy, focus, and on the right things. Because as Benny mentioned earlier, there's a lot of things that we can do that are busy work that aren't necessarily helping us move forward in the language in the way that we could be. But we tend to feel like we're doing something because we're doing this busy work, even if it's not the best thing we could be spending our time on. So um, I just wanted to add that. The next question is from Jean. And um, it's a three-part question, but I want to focus on the first part of the question. And she said, I took a three-year break from learning Spanish. Do you have any tips for getting back into studying a language after a long break? So the first thing I want to mention is that Benny and I have both written posts or we both have posts on our blogs about how to pick up a language after a long break. And those will be included in the show notes. Um, I'm going to start with three tips and then I'll cover some of what Benny and I discussed in our articles on this. So the first thing is a lot of the reason why, at least for me personally, I tend to take a break from a language is because what I was do, what I was doing was not sustainable. So it basically gets to the point where I'm doing way too much. Life happens. I can't maintain what I'm doing and it, I just completely fall off. And the mistake that I make in picking the language back up is when I go to pick it back up, I try to pick it back up where I left it off. And so my advice is if you're picking a language back up, 
don't do that because it never works. Um, again, the reason that we often stop is because what we were doing didn't fit with our lifestyle, didn't fit with where we are at, and we just couldn't maintain it. So you want to start with something small, um, just something to get yourself back into the habit, back into the routine of studying the language. So for me, this is doing something like daily vocabulary study. So I may pick up drops, do five minutes a day. And once I have that habit built and it's something I'm doing consistently every single day and not really having to think about it or there's no, as I mentioned before, resistance. So where it's like, oh, I have to study. If I'm kind of just, it's just something I do. Like I just brush my teeth. Like I just make my coffee in the morning. It, when it gets to that point, then I'll be like, okay, what's the next thing I can do? I'm going to take a one hour lesson a week. So then I'll do my one hour lesson. Then what's the next thing I can do? Well, I can review the material that I worked on in between lessons, which is basically just a different way of studying vocabulary instead of studying a list that someone else was like, here's a list of words. Like, okay, this is the list of words I need to know based on what I'm discussing in my lessons. But basically just kind of start slow and build. And then if you start to feel again, that resistance or um, you're having trouble fitting it in, that's when you need to look and say, okay, what can I cut out? Or maybe I should just stop here and stop trying to do more. So my first bit of advice would be not to try and do all the things that you were doing before, because again, part of the reason you may have dropped off is because with whatever you were doing in the past, it didn't really fit in to your life. And so it probably shouldn't be what you were trying to pick back up. The next bit of advice I have for uh, starting over with the language is to do a bit of review at the beginning for two reasons. One, uh, it'll kind of give you a way to go back over what you learned in the past and start to remember some of it. And then two, doing this is hugely rewarding because when you do go back over that material and you do review, you realize just how much you still know. It's in your passive knowledge. It's not active yet, but you can make it active. But it's just a really great way to get a little bit of extra motivation at the beginning when picking it back up because languages are like riding a bicycle. Um, you may be a little bit unsteady when you get back on the bike after 10 years of not riding, but the basic principle of riding a bicycle you haven't forgotten. And within a short time, you're riding just as well as you were in the past, if not better. And the same is true for languages. It's in there. It just needs to be reactivated. So spending that little bit of time reviewing at the beginning is going to help you get back what you had. And I too often find that when I go back and do that review, um, like I did with my Italian refresh project, which I actually did with Fluent in three months. So again, I can share that as well. Um, what was there? And I was able to basically in three days, get back what I had learned in um, years of study because it was just there. I just needed to remind myself of it. And then even within that three-day window, I got better at Italian than I was in the past because um, some of the things that I had missed the first time around, I picked up that second time in refreshing it. And the third thing that I would recommend is start speaking right away. Again, for motivation reasons, uh, when you're studying a language and you drop off, a part of that is also probably motivation. Um, you're not motivated enough to stick with it. And that's okay. It's totally fine to drop a language, to take a break from a language and to not feel motivated about it. It's totally fine. But if motivation was part of that, speaking can give you that because when you actually connect with people while using a language, it just, it feels really good and it feels like a huge win and it 
motivates you to keep doing it and keep working at it and keep improving. So I would definitely recommend that you start speaking right away. Uh, Benny's post is really great because it has 10 things that you can do um, to pick a language back up. So I'll just kind of read the headlines really quick for you, just as 10 quick tips for you. So the first is to ask yourself, do I really care about learning this language? Um, I think that that's actually something that you should consider. So maybe the reason that you stopped studying Spanish is because you secretly always wanted to learn Japanese, but you didn't have a reason to learn Japanese other than wanting to learn it. So you learned Spanish because it was more practical, but maybe if you had learned Japanese, you would have stuck with it and made more progress. So first thinking about why you're learning Spanish is really important um, to decide if it's something that you should pick back up. The second is, again, to kind of evaluate why you stopped studying the language. So um, if it was a motivation thing, like you just didn't feel motivated to learn it, write that down because then you can brainstorm what you could do to feel motivated about it. Or if it was, again, because what you were doing wasn't sustainable. Okay, we'll look at new approaches that may be more sustainable for you in the long term. Um, but by writing this down and reflecting on why you quit is really important to figuring out how to prevent yourself from quitting again in the future. You can keep a journal and read it. This is actually something that I do when I'm taking notes and things, whenever something comes up that I don't understand or that um, I want to look up later so it doesn't distract me from what I'm doing in that moment. Um, I keep a journal to do that, those sorts of things. And it's also really rewarding and motivating as well because at any point I can look back at that journal and see where I was at and actually visualize just how much progress I've made because there may be a question like, how do I use passe composé? And I go back and I'm like, I can do that super easy now. So it's just a really nice way to document your progress. And also it improves your writing skills and it, it leads you to produce in the language and production, which is speaking and writing. Those are the best ways to make the language really yours. So it's great for improvement as well. Um, you can take a break from learning as well. It may be just because you're exhausted. I don't know how long your break was, Jean, with Spanish in particular, but sometimes we just need that time to kind of process the language and let it sit. Um, another tip is to do something really fun in the language. So for me, if I'm burnt out on studying, I might go play Assassin's Creed in French so that I'm still getting exposure to the language. I'm getting practice because unless I'm understanding the missions, I can't complete them. So I'm still doing some learning, but it's something that I really enjoy. Maybe video games aren't your thing. So go watch a movie go watch a TV show, go read a book, go listen to some music, whatever you need to do to connect with the language in a way that's enjoyable for you is going to be really critical. Um, the next thing is to push yourself. Um, sometimes we just need a little bit of a kick to get moving. And so maybe you just need to give yourself that kick um, to dive back in. And you know, you could say, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I'm going to do this, go do it. And then the next day, do the same thing until you don't need to kind of ramp yourself up beforehand, but sometimes just giving you that push is really important. Um, if you want to read the other things on this list of 10 things to do to pick a language back up, again, I will link this particular post in the show notes. So, Benny? Yep. Excellent answer. All right. So making sure we get as many questions in this uh, hour long session as we can. I'll dive right into the next one uh, from Ledis. I hope I said her name right. Um, what do you recommend to maintain languages you've previously worked on? So this truly depends on the personality. So I'm actually just going to give my own personal experience uh, since right now I'm not learning a new language, but I am maintaining my languages. 
One thing uh, that Shannon literally just said is playing video games in the language. And I do that as well. The games I tend to play don't have as much dialogue in them, but it still gets me in the right mode that I'm actually using them. But other than that, I, um, whenever I'm winding down for the night, instead of watching Netflix in English, I watch it in the language that I'm maintaining that day. So for instance, for German, I'm watching Dark. A lot of people may have heard of that. It's a sci-fi show, kind of similar to Stranger Things. For Por Portuguese, I've been watching Coisa Mais Linda, and I'm really enjoying that. And this has kind of helped me to wind down. And um, just as, as we're doing this live, I just saw in the stream of questions, people are asking which um, format for the subtitles should you go for. And generally, I highly recommend that you have the subtitles on in the same language that you're listening to. So when I'm watching Dark in German, the subtitles are in German, not in English, because I would feel tempted to get lazy and just read the English and kind of ignore all the German. But what I'm doing is I'm following along, and then as they say a word, I'll actually pause it, and I'll look that up, word up, and I'll add it to my list of words to study. So it's just something to keep in mind that you it helps a lot if you're listening to the subtitles or listening to the audio while, while reading the subtitles. It also helps to associate the sounds to the actual words, because I know a lot of us, we may be able to read a language, but we struggle with understanding it when it's spoken. So this helps with that. Uh, other things I do, I'm obviously, you know, being a YouTuber and a blogger and all that, I'm very big on social media in terms of I enjoy uh, posting things and I enjoy consuming things on social media. So I've actually made a separate account for the languages I want to maintain. So I have a separate Instagram account in each of my languages. I have a German Instagram account, a Spanish Instagram account. And I've also been enjoying uploading videos on TikTok. So I actually also have separate accounts for the languages I want to maintain. And I upload videos to, to, to my Spanish TikTok or my French TikTok. And ultimately, when it comes to maintaining the language, since this is not the same as my intensive learning period where I'm, I'm trying to get as much information into my brain as I can in a short time. This is the period that I want my life to be like in that language. And because I'm the kind of person who may watch the odd Netflix show and uh, does upload things on social media, um, it just makes sense that this is how I live my life. So I'm going to live my life through that language as well. I'm going to do as many things as possible while using that language. But at the same time, I do have a certain sense of this same uh, learning experience where I'm trying to have my spoken sessions in the language. So during my maintenance periods, I try to schedule sessions with spoken uh, with a teacher to get some spoken practice. And then I also try to have some true study period that I'm going through the um, words that I had noted during the Netflix shows that I wrote down that I need to remember that word or things my teacher told me to do. So I do have this active learning during my uh, maintenance phases, but I do try to make that active learning be kind of orbiting the actual use of the language and uh you know lots of there's so many things you can do it depends on your personality people will read books in the language they will try to maybe cook in the language and get a good cookbook in that language whatever your interests are you try to do that thing and then you improve on it as you go by uh, doing the study that's geared towards that so that's um, one thing, that's my theme of how I maintain my languages. 
Our next question is from Caroline, and she says, can someone learn a second language for the first time in their mid-40s and be fluent? Have you seen this often before? Quickly, yes. Um, in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, we often have learners who are what you might say, I'm too old to learn a language. We have learners who are in their 70s, in their 60s, in their 50s, in their 40s, in their 30s, and in their 20s. You are never too old to learn a language. I think this often stems from the idea that children are better language learners than adults, which is actually not true. I have kids and I can tell you that it takes them years to learn a language. They constantly make mistakes. Um, they struggle to communicate. They do a whole lot of listening, years of listening before they even start speaking. Um, and when they start, they say words, they say them wrong, they say the wrong words, they make grammar mistakes. There's all sorts of things. As an adult, we have an advantage. We've already learned a language and we can use that language we learned to learn another language. The issue that comes in when you're an adult is when you're a kid, one, you're typically not afraid of making mistakes. So you just put yourself out there and speak and make mistakes and then get corrected. The second thing is that there's not a whole lot of things that take up your time, especially in those early years. You don't have any commitments like families, like work, like school, like anything else. Um, so as we get older, what ends up happening is our attention gets pulled away from language learning. We have other things that fill our time other than language learning. We are not in the same kind of immersion environment that we can create that to learn the languages. And we're not speaking with tutors or native speakers to get the feedback that we need to make the same kinds of improvement and growth as a child. So um, with the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, you get a lot of that because you get people to practice with, you get to practice speaking the language, you actually have to make a time commitment and the time commitment is small. So you can fit it into your routine and give it the focus and you have support and encouragement, which makes things like making mistakes less scary. And that um, kind of gives you a feedback loop, which is often one of the things that we're missing as adults. Even if you take a class, you're in a class typically with 18 to 30 other students. The teacher doesn't give you all of their attention. You maybe get homework assignments and tests graded, but you don't get the kind of feedback that you need to make significant progress. So there's all sorts of things that factor into this. Um, but I just wanted to give a short answer to that one so that, Benny, you could take another question. Yeah, sure. Okay, so um, this question is an interesting one. It's uh, from Andy, and he's essentially asking how to, like, what kind of study methods for uh, people who have ADHD um, and the challenges of um, people who deal with, like, uh, constant interruptions that would prevent them to be able to stay focused. And overlapping with that, one of the comments that I'm seeing live is from Nendo saying, I can't believe Benny has been able to pull off eight hours a day for three months on so many occasions. So I kind of, there's an overlap with these two that I want to address. That effectively, if you guys don't know, I have ADHD. I've um, been diagnosed it and everything, and it's it's been a big theme of my life. So how can somebody with ADHD focus for eight hours because for me i get distracted by the smallest things and for instance i can't ever study in a coffee shop because uh, when it's safe to do so i it, there's too many interruptions there are people coming and going and i am completely unable to focus in that kind of environment so i have to be at home in a quiet place and have noise cancelling headphones on and so on but how do i ha manage to create eight hours in a day well I actually um, cannot sit down for eight hours in one go. What I do is I split that up. So firstly, I split the eight hours up into uh, four sessions of two hours. So maybe something like 8 a.m. to, to 10 a.m., 
uh, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., then a lunch break, and then another two sessions of two hours in the uh, later part of the day. Um, but then the second thing is I, again, cannot sit down for two hours straight. So the way I've worked through that and something that you guys would have seen me mention uh, for a very long time on the blog is I'm a fan of the Pomodoro technique or time boxing. So effectively, I know that if I'm going to sit down and not really give myself any kind of limitations or criteria, the second a thought enters my mind, like, ooh, I wonder what John is doing today. And I'll pick up my phone and look it up on Instagram and see what his latest story updates are. And and I've completely lost whatever momentum on the thing I was doing. And and that temptation is constantly like a woodpecker is pecking away at my brain saying, you know, do this thing, check that thing, you, you know, do something else that you're not doing right now. So my method is I will give myself... 25 minutes, exactly 25 minutes. I'll have a physical timer that I can see for the entire period of time that I'm doing it. And I agree with myself that I cannot have any interruptions. So obviously my phone is either off or on airplane mode and I have put everything far, far away from me and I don't see like the mess in the kitchen or whatever. I, I try to make sure that I'm in as a uh, non-distractionable, if that's a word, uh, situation as I possibly can set myself up in. And I'm still tempted, you know, 10 minutes in, I still think to myself, you know, oh, should I see what's happening on Twitter? But at least because 25 minutes is such a, an achievably small amount of time, I'm I'm able to have the willpower to survive for 25 minutes and, and be like, no, I will I'll look at that when I'm done. And I'll stay focused on the task for 25 minutes. And then for five minutes, I'm allowed to do whatever I want. So I can open up Twitter. I can open up Instagram. I can stand up, walk around, look at the birds tweeting outside, clean the kitchen if I, if that thought came to my mind. I can do these things for that little break. And then I get back to the, the main 25 minute section. So I've actually split my day up into 25 minute chunks that add up to just under the two hours that I'll try to have that one thing I'm trying to do intensively. And then I have a break and then I come back to it. So that's effectively like when people think, you know, how can I do something for eight hours? That's how I do it with, with huge attention issues is I micro, like look at the micro moments of time and I really don't allow myself to take any interruptions. So that's what I would suggest for anyone with ADHD or anyone who in general feels like they can't focus for this amount of time is to time box things, to just agree with yourself that just for 25 minutes, you're not going to let yourself be interrupted. I personally would never be able to not let myself be interrupted for two hours or, or any kind of stretch of time like that. But I, I agree with myself. It's okay. You know, if the talk comes to my mind, like I, I super want to check Twitter for whatever reason, I'll, I'll let myself do that when the 25 minutes have passed and I have a very big visual timer. You could put this on your computer screen. You could download an app that shows this. Uh, you can just have a physical clock that, that you're looking at, whatever it may be, that helps you to kind of stay focused until that time runs out. So uh, that's something that I would recommend. And I think we have time for one last question, if you want to take one, Shannon. Um, actually, speaking of time running out, mm. we have run out of time for oh, it today. Okay. So 
Uh, I just wanted to quickly close out. Um, if you're listening to this, you can find out more information about the Language Hacking Podcast by visiting languagehacking.com. Uh, we have all of the episodes that are available that you can listen to there, the show notes. And of course, as I mentioned before, for this episode, you can check out the show notes, all of the articles that Benny and I mentioned, links to some of Benny's language missions, and um, all of the resources we mentioned in this podcast episode as well. So I want to thank everyone for listening and for all of your amazing questions. And um, in the meantime, happy language learning. Happy language learning. And I hope you guys enjoyed the uh, language hacking podcast moving forward. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you find this episode valuable, please leave us a review so we can continue to grow and spread the word about language hacking. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.